Second Peter chapter one. We're going to look at verses five through eleven. The title of the message tonight is Reminder, Respond. That'll make sense if you remember what Sunday's message was. Let me back up. Second Peter is where he is warning the flock of God, right? This Apostle Peter is warning the, the flock of God before he dies. He's been appointed an under-shepherd uh, for the Lord. And the theme for Second Peter is this, standing true in the face of falsehood. Peter looks out uh, at the flock of God before, he's, before he dies and says, I need to warn you because there are wolves among you. If you have been following us, I'll give you the outline again. And we talk about reminder, so this is your reminder. If you haven't been with us, you can write this down. Here's an easy outline for this book. Chapter 1, Peter reminds us. And that's a great way to combat falsehood, right? Remind yourself of what is true. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, he rebukes those wolves, the uh, Wolves in sheep's clothing, the, the false prophets, the false teachers. And in chapter 3, he refocuses us on the return of Jesus. Okay? So we are in tonight, in chapter 1. And so Peter is in the midst of reminding us. You remember what he reminded them of in verses 2 through 4 on Sunday? Basically, he reminded them and said, Reminder, you are rich. And again, we said, well, some of you are thinking, somebody tell my wallet. No, he said, you are rich spiritually already, past tense, actually perfect tense, which means it was done once, all, never needing to be done again. Peter says to everyone in this room who believes the Bible, you are rich. Let me clarify. Everyone who believes the Bible and is saved is given their life to Jesus. You are rich. Already you're rich. You just need to use your key. Get to know Jesus. Oh, man. No wonder Peter reminds. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I say that word, even tonight, go ahead and, and, and yell that out there as a reminder. The way to unlock your riches that have already been given to you is to use your key. There you go. Let me just real quick, uh, brief, briefly... Uh, Rewind for you. Verse 2. Peter says, you're rich. You have the pardon of God. That means he's forgiven you. You don't feel it? Use your key. Verse 2, he says, you have the peace of God. You, you, you can be at peace with the holy, righteous God. Don't feel it? Use your key. Then he says, you even have the power of God. That's unbelievable when you think about it. All the power that you could possibly need for, it says, life and godliness. That is, a life that is pleasant to you and pleasing to Him. He's given you all the power you could possibly need to achieve that. You're like, really? I feel pretty powerless. Use your key. And then, He even says at the end of verse 4, Look, you even have available to you, it's within your grasp, the purity of God and His personality. The purity and the personality of God are in one sense yours in, in within your grasp in Jesus. If you're like, well, I don't know, I can't imagine that I could ever be pure, that I could, in this filthy world, that I could actually have the personality of God, I would say to you, turn your key. 
Okay? You're caught up now. Peter started out of the gates in this book by reminding us we are rich. Look back at verse 1. I want to show you something real quick before we leave that thought. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pointed out that Peter's pointing out from the very beginning, look, your faith is just as precious as mine, just as effective as mine. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Right out of the gates, he says, hey, guys, I got nothing that you don't have. So apply all of that to this as well. You have as much pardon from God as Peter did. You have available to you the same peace of God that Peter did. You already own as much of the power of God that Peter did. Who actually said to a man, rise up and walk. The promises of God that he made to Peter are available to you. Even the purity and the personality of Jesus are available, just as available to you as they were to Peter. Amazing. He really has blessed us beyond measure. Well, now tonight, Peter kind of turns the focus a little bit, says, okay, I've reminded you that you're rich. Now let me remind you of your response of your appropriate response to these riches, of the, the right thing that you should be doing, your responsibility. On, whereas on Sunday, Peter reminded us, you are rich. Now he reminds us, you are rich. Now, respond. Okay? If you're taking notes, here's an outline for you for just tonight. Verses 5 through 7, you'll want to write down the word relentless. <laughs> because you're going to need to be relentless in your pursuit of these qualities that he mentions. Verses 8 through 10, you're going to want to write down the word results. Because if you are relentless in your pursuit, you'll see these results, according to Peter. And then verse 11, you could write down the word reward, or maybe even better, your reception in heaven. And we'll get there eventually. <laughs> the way I go, we'll get there about 10 o'clock tonight. All right, you ready? Verse 5. Our text. But also for this very reason. Okay, stop. Wow, we didn't make it very far, did we? <laughs> for what reason? Well, for all of the reasons that he's just mentioned in verses 2 through 4. All of the riches that he's bestowed upon you, right? All of that culminating, I think, at the end of verse 4 where it says, You have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter says, to get us going tonight, guys, the reason I'm going to say this is your response is because... He's rescued you. He's made you so rich. He has blessed you, blessed your socks off, and this, therefore, is your reasonable, appropriate response. Okay? Here we go, verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. In essence, Peter, I think, is saying tonight, look, we've established you're rich. Now, get richer. 
Anybody have a problem with that? You are rich. Now Peter says, get richer. He's given you already everything you need for life and for godliness. But guess what? Peter says, there's room for more. Hard to wrap your head around, but he says, he gives you everything you need. And yet there's room for more. He's added to you amazing riches in the faith. And now he turns around and says, now it's your turn. You add to your faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Now it's not coincidental, I don't think, that Peter goes here in his letter that is trying to battle against false teachers, right? We said this before, one of the best ways to battle the weeds of falsehood is to let your faith grow, right? I used the illustration and I didn't get much feedback. I don't know if this is true, but this is what I hear. That a healthy growing lawn is susceptible less to weeds than a sparse withered lawn. I say that because I only have experience with the latter. But if, if this thing is growing, it's less likely to be invaded from an outside evil source, okay? Peter says, look, God has done his part. He's made you rich. Now, do you do your part. You get richer. You add to your faith these things. See, there may be some who you came on Sunday and you, you heard the message and, it, and you're like, awesome. Perfect. Well, God has made me rich. So now all I've got to do is sit back and lounge in the lap of luxury. Peter says, not so fast. No, God has made you rich. Now you get busy getting richer. Let me show you that word diligence. Do you see it? He says, but also for this very reason, since he blessed you so much, give, giving all diligence. The word means earnestness in accomplishing, promoting, or striving after anything. So Peter is saying, guys, get after it. You guys want to... Uh, See how serious Peter is about this. You guys read the word diligence or diligent. Look at verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, so on and so forth. Now look down at verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. Kind of bookends to this text. He says at the beginning, guys, get after it. Be diligent. Toward the end, he says, guys, Get after it. Be diligent. To, to stay true in the face of falsehood, to be winsome in order that we might win some, to live a life that is pleasing to God and pleasant to us requires diligence. It requires a relentless pursuit. And I, I want to explain this hopefully in a way that, that you'll understand. Because in one way it does just happen naturally like fruit happens, right? But in another way it doesn't just happen. Let me put it this way. When it comes to adding these things to your faith, entropy is not your friend. Right? Just the, the idea that, well, if I just do nothing, it's all going to work out. Like, like evolution. Everything is just going to somehow build itself better. No, entropy is not your friend. You've heard the phrase, and it's a good phrase if you understand it in its context. I'm just going to let go and let God. That's a good phrase if it's in its right context. 
Y'all, it doesn't work here. Meaning, you can't just look at this list and go, well, I'm not going to pursue virtue, or knowledge, or self-control, or perseverance, or godliness, or kindness, or love. I'm not going to really pursue any of those things. I'm just going to let go and let God. I mean, if He wants me to be virtuous, He'll just make me. If He's really serious about me being kind, He'll just do it. These things don't just come from the sky. And and please bear with me because I think you're going to see as I explain it better, you'll be like, okay, well, now I get it. But let me me just (laughs) bury this point even more into the ground. It's not like you're walking down the street and an angel drops a bucket of self-control on you. It's not like you're walking down the street and all, ah, virtue, sweet, godliness, it just happens. No, Peter says, get after it. It requires getting after it. Now, to balance that out, I think you'll be encouraged when you begin to see what getting after it looks like. Okay? But please make no mistake, these qualities don't just float into your life like a zephyr wind on a spring day. They require diligence, diligent pursuit. Okay? But before I give you the way to pursue them, I want to look at verses 5 through 7. We won't spend a huge amount of time, but we'll explain each one. And it, you could put down the word relentless, but here's another word you could use for these, these uh, verses. And it'll probably be discouraging before it's encouraging. Ready? You could put down the word report card. Oh man, it's already discouraging. <laughs> The word report card. You guys know that, I know in Orange County this week, and apparently they just got over them in Lake County, they're doing the FCAT tests, right? The teacher's like, yes, we know all about it. I was like, you know what? We could look at tonight this list here as the FCAT. For Christ, add these. For Christ, add these. For a moment, again, we're going to get to the solution, how you relentlessly pursue these, how you get after them. But just for a moment, let's go back to those days in school where you got the report card. And at that particular moment, it's it's not fun to look at, but to face the facts and go, okay, this is where I got to start working, right? Let's look at this list from that perspective. This is your FCAT. What is the Lord saying to you tonight? For me, you add these. And there'll probably be some that you are graded better than others, right? All right. He says, what would your FCAT score be, according to verse 5? But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So you've already got the faith. He says, add to your faith. Virtue. Virtue means moral goodness. Moral excellence. What grade would you get? Next to the words, moral, excellent, on your report card. Then he says, add to virtue, knowledge. Interesting, this word knowledge is different than the word epigenosis that we saw uh, on Sunday. This is just gnosis. And it's a simpler word, I guess. It's not so much knowing by experience, but just truly just head knowledge. That is understanding, uh, grasping things. So he's basically saying, add to your virtue, truth. That is, the ability to receive it, to comprehend it. Uh, And obviously, the way to do that would be through the Bible, right? 
Bible truth. What grade would you get from the Lord? It says your name and then it says Bible knowledge or just knowledge. What grade would you get? Don't answer. Um, then it says verse 6. And then to knowledge, I want you to add self-control. Or self-control is the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. It's from the root word that means mastering or controlling or restraining. Self-control. I thought I'd share this with you. I don't know if it's helpful or more confusing, but Isaac, my five-year-old, I don't know if he's a genius or if he's trying to get out of something or if he's a theological amazing thing, but he and I have had these conversations about who's the boss. Well, that doesn't surprise you. But he, he's, a couple times he'll say this amazing thing, which is true. He's like, Dad, if I'm the boss of myself, you don't have to be the boss of me. And I don't know if he's, what he's trying to get at, but what he's saying is, I think, I hope, if I learn to control myself, you don't have to beat it into me. Right? Self-control. Self-control, then, is the mark of someone who can be trusted to master themselves without being bossed, without being watched, corrected every single moment. If you're a, a, an employer, you know how valuable it is to have someone who's just, they're self-controlled. They, I don't have to be on them all the time. So self-control, then, when we put it from the Lord's perspective, he sees us every second. He knows when we're, he even sees us when we're all alone, right? He knows how much self-control we have. What grade would he write down for you? The self-control. I'll leave that blank for you. Um, maybe, and maybe you're thinking, okay, all right, I, I could definitely maybe stand to, to grow in the self-control area. But maybe this is how you're thinking right this second. Well, I had self-control for a long, long time. And then this thing happened. And it set me out of my groove. And, well, I lost my self-control after a while. Well, the next word is for you. Add to your self-control perseverance. Self-control just for a short amount of time is nice, but perseverance is what you need. The word perseverance is hupomone. It means to remain under. It's a steadfastness. It's a consistency, a constancy, an endurance. In the New Testament, this is from the Blue Letter Bible, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Let me ask you a convicting, seems to be what I do lately, convicting question. Are you one who can endure anything for a short time? I mean, I can accomplish anything, I can handle anything, any frustration, whatever it is, as long as it's over, as over in, say, about a minute or two. Or are you one that says, it was easy for me to believe God, that he loved me, and that, that he would clothe me and feed me, but now, come on, this recession is it's lasting this long? Well, maybe what you need to do is add to your self-control perseverance. How would the Lord grade you on perseverance? Then he says, 
Add to your, your self-control perseverance and then add to your perseverance godliness. We saw that word on Sunday. Eusebia. It means a life pleasing to God. A life that looks more and more like God. God-likeness. Godliness. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if up to this point you were like, yeah, I'm graded pretty good, <laughs> this one to me is like blows us all out of the water. Because what if the Lord were to, to look at every word you spoke today and every action you took today and every thought that you entertained, <clears throat> not, not every thought that popped in your head, but every thought that you dwelt upon today, and he, what if he were to grade it against what he would have done or thought or said? Is anyone else ready for the FCAT to be done? <laughs> he says, look, add these things to your faith. Verse 7, he says, to godliness, add brotherly kindness. That just means loving each other as a family would. Again, it means loving folks, uh, each other, warts and all. The idea of blood is thicker than water. Having that kind of an attitude. Being willing to hash things out. To say I'm sorry. To pursue peace with all men. In that area. What kind of grade would you get? On your FCAT score. And then he says finally. This is the. Uh, I wasn't able to really dig as far as. To put these together in an ascending order. But it's very obvious that the, that the last one is the top. Right? which is, uh, he says, and to brotherly kindness, love, that is agape. The pinnacle of this list, it must be in some kind of ascending order, though I didn't really figure it out, is the pinnacle of the list is agape love, right? That's God's kind of love. The kind of love that loves the unlovable. The kind of love that loves even when there's no chance of it being returned. Okay? Is everybody sufficiently deflated yet tonight? I mean, how'd you do on the FCAT? Peter says, you've been given so much riches. You've been given the pardon of God, the peace of God, the power of God even, the promises of God, and even the purity and the personality of God are available to you. But Peter says tonight, uh, is there room for improvement? Is there anything that you could, say, add to your faith tonight? Is there anything that you could say for Christ? I want to add this. See, he's called us to be diligent, relentless in our pursuit of these qualities. Now, hopefully some hope for you in the midst of uh, this message. What does that diligence look like? What does it mean to be diligent and to add to your faith these things? Does it mean to work real hard to be good? Has anybody tried that before? How's it worked for you? Does it mean to work super hard to have that self-control, to be godly? Does it mean to have a long checklist of rules, regulations to check off? I hope not. Through experience, I can tell you, if that is your approach, if you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to add these things, and I'm going to, today I'm going to work on this thing, and, and I'm I just not going to fail because I'm not going to let it happen. If that's your approach, 
I'm pretty sure you're going to fail. I feel like we already uncovered the, the proper approach last Sunday. You want to add these things? Turn your key. Good. Just like Sunday, the key to adding these things, the things from this list into your life, you're going to find the key actually just like we did on all day Sunday. At the end of the list, look at it, verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful, here's the key, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all, the, the, the prescription is the same, which I'm so thankful for which is to get to know Jesus. Think about it. Jesus was, is unmatched in all of these things. Virtue, that is moral excellence. Who can touch Jesus when it comes to virtue and moral excellence? You want virtue? Use your key. Then it says knowledge. I just read this morning of one more account where the Pharisees, they tried to stump Jesus. They flatter him and say, yeah, you're so smart. Hey, I've got a question for you. Trying to fool him. And every single time they tried to stump him, they couldn't. No one could touch Jesus when it came to knowledge. If you want more knowledge, read your Bible and turn your key. Self-control. You want self-control? Who has ever shown more self-control than Jesus? On the way to the cross, when they said, you save yourself. How many of us, I know I would, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to save myself. And there, now you're a pile of ashes. That, that's what I would do. Because that's in my nature. But as I get closer and closer to him, I want to do that less and less. Who has more self-control than Jesus? If you need self-control, use your key. And it says perseverance. The characteristics of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Who does that sound like? Jesus said, uh, the Bible says that Jesus put his face like a flint to Jerusalem. That's a fancy way of saying he decided he was going to the cross and nobody was going to stop him. Not even one of his best friends, Peter, saying, Hey, no, that, you shouldn't do that. Get behind me, Satan. Who was better at persevering than Jesus? In this economy, and you're like, I'm losing hope. I just, I'm losing it. You need perseverance? Use your key. Godliness. That is... Living a life that is pleasing to God. Who is more pleasing to God than Jesus? He even said out of his own lips, I only do what pleases my Father. And toward the end of the book of John, he, he says in a prayer, Father, I've finished the work that you gave me to do. You want godliness? Being having your life pleasing to God, to think and act and do all the things that He wants you to do, 
you want that, use your key. Brotherly kindness. Again, each one of these things on the list, some of them are going to hit you harder than others, right? What's the the little uh, adage? If you throw a a rock into a, a bunch of dogs, the one that yelps the loudest is the one that got hit, right? So there's there's a whole bag of dogs here, but for you, this one maybe it's this one: brotherly kindness. That is being willing to look at everybody in this room and in this church and across the body of Christ, even the ones that are not very nice, to look at them and say, all right, you're in my family. I'm going to treat you like family. I'm going to pursue peace with you as best I know how. If you want brotherly kindness, who who better than to look at Jesus? He was the one who said... I no longer call you servants. This was, again, on the night before he was betrayed. Guys, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm calling you friends. He says that servants don't have any idea what their master is doing, but friends, you're in the know, right? If you need more brotherly kindness to look at people as the family of God, use your key. Then he says the, the ultimate, he says add to all these things, the top of the list is Love. Agape love. Love without any consideration for it being returned. Loving the unlovely. That almost it's almost insulting to, to say anything because we know that Jesus is the very picture of that, right? Who who more loving the unlovely, the undeserving than Jesus? Who loved more independent of what was in it for him? than Jesus. If you want agape love, use your key. Okay. Hopefully, if you're like me, you've been sufficiently convicted, but you also see the solution. There's hope. There's a solution here, right? Now, Peter's going to go on, and we're going to move a little quicker now. You're like, I sure hope so. If if we... All right, that's enough. (laughs) If, If we... If we relentlessly pursue these qualities by getting to know Jesus, what will the results be? That's the second part here. And again, we're going to move quickly. If we don't relentlessly pursue these, then what will the results be? That's where Peter goes here in the next verses. Verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, and the word abound means if they're growing, if they're continually growing in your life, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Barren. The word means unusable. If you look at a piece of barren land, you you wouldn't plant anything in it because it wouldn't do any good. It's unusable. And then he says unfruitful. That means unproductive, right? Literally, it means not yielding what it ought to yield. Again, this morning in my quiet time reading about the fig tree that Jesus walked by had all its leaves it looks like it should have yield, yielded fruit didn't so he walks by and curses it because it looked like it should have yielded fruit but it didn't he says look if you'll pursue these things if you will make it your goal, if you won't just kick back and go, well, God's just going to add these things to me. I don't have to do anything. 
If you'll pursue these things, if you'll want to get to know Jesus, spend time getting to know Him, then you will be neither useless or unfruitful. You'll be neither barren, unusable, or unfruitful. That is unproductive. I, I hope this is a rhetorical question. It is. It's intended to be. But do you want to be used by the Lord? Do you want to be fruitful, productive? Well, Peter says, verse 8, For if these things, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love, if these things are yours and are continuing to grow in you, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Peter's saying, it's sort of in the negative, but put it in the positive. Peter's basically saying this, guys. If you pursue these things, and again, Peter's a realist. I don't think he's saying you have to have these things mastered. But if you're adding these things to your life, you never have to worry about being unuseful or unproductive. That's, just, that's a kind of a lightning bolt in itself. I think sometimes we're like, Lord, I'm still not in that ministry that you, that you, you promised me or the thing that I think I'm supposed to be doing. I, I, just, I'm, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels here. Well, no, it says right here, if you add these things, you won't be unuseful or unproductive no matter where I have you. Do you see it? So, Peter says, that's what will happen if you pursue them. But what if you don't pursue them? Look at verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Peter says, look, the result, if, if you are seeking to possess these things, if you're trying to add them into uh, the faith that he's given to you, and that's just by, by knowing Jesus more and more, if you do these things, you'll never be unuseful. You'll never have to worry about being unfruitful. If, however, you don't pursue these things, Peter says you are short-sighted. The word is myopazo. It's the same place we get the word myopia, myopic. It means nearsighted. And I got to thinking, that's a great description of the one who really does say, well, I'm rich in Christ. I got my fire insurance. I'm just going to kick back. How short-sighted. Short-sighted, it means to be able to only see that which is barely in front of your face, right? How short-sighted it is to have that attitude. Well, I got my fire insurance, I'm good. Not realizing that however usable and fruitful you are here in this, in the confines of time that we're in right now, the, the life that you're living now is what sets up the life that you're going to live then. How short-sighted is it to just look at it and go, I got my fire insurance, I'm good. I mean, we're only spending, what, 80 years, most of us, tops here? How long are we going to be spending there? Billions and billions of years. How short-sighted to go, I'm good, I'm just getting in. You know, I'll just I'll have a little uh, shack right on the outskirts of town. As long as I'm in, I'm good. How short-sighted. Peter says, he who lacked these things is short-sighted. And then he says, well, actually, let me go so far as to say they are blind. Uh, the word is uh, typhlos, and um, it literally means, it's, it's where we get typhoid, I guess, as well, but it literally means wrapped in smoke or clouded. And it's usually associated with pride. Um, puffed up is, is also attached to this word. 
And that, that reminded me that, you know, Peter's objective here, again, once again, is to combat false teaching, right? Here's a little speculation, so you can set this on the side. Don't think of this as official, but it makes sense to me. I wonder if Peter wrote this list to, once again, combat the Gnostics. The Gnostics, they were a group of guys who, basically, we have this secret knowledge. That's number two on your list there. We have this knowledge, and nobody else has it, just us. If you stick with us, we'll make you as smart as us, and, and you know, you'll, you'll get to the, the heights of eternal knowledge like we are. I wonder if the Gnostics, I think Peter, we know this much, Peter is basically saying, look, you're rich, don't forget that. I wonder if the Gnostics were saying this to everybody that they could find. Guys, you're not rich. You're missing out on all of this great knowledge that we have. And I wonder if the Gnostics added to their list, they say, okay, if you stick with us, here's the list, knowledge. And then add to knowledge, knowledge. And add to that knowledge, more knowledge. And knowledge and knowledge and knowledge. And that their, their point was, look, don't worry about virtue. Don't worry about godliness or self-control. Any of those things, knowledge is where it's at. Secret knowledge is where it's at. I think that might be why Peter is saying, look, those guys that are telling you that are blind. They are show, so short-sighted even to blindness. Verse 9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Peter says if you don't, if you don't pursue these things, not only are you blind looking forward into eternity, but you're also blind looking back. Forgetful. Ungrateful. To the Lord who rescued you. In the Old Testament, you can't, if you're reading in the Old Testament right now, you can never escape it. He is constantly reminding the children of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt. Don't forget. Okay, I'll say it again today. I brought you out of Egypt. Don't forget. It's very important to the Lord that we don't forget where He's brought us out of. So, Peter says, guys, these, are, these guys are playing a deadly game. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his, his old sins. That is dangerous territory. Just ask the, the, the children of Israel who forgot that God did all these great things for them. See, that's one of God's themes over and over again. Don't forget, it's my right hand, it's my love for you that delivers you. Verse 9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. All right, so, verses 5 through 7. Peter, I think, is saying, Be relentless in your pursuit of these things. Again, the good news is, you don't have to pin down every single one, but take your report card and say, Lord, help me here. As I get to know you. If you do, Peter says, here's the, here's the results. You're going to be useful. You're going to be fruitful. If you don't, here's the results. You're going to be short-sighted and forgetful. Oh, and there's one more result. Look at verse 10. You're also going to see one more result. If you will do these things, you will find assurance through sure-footedness. I don't know if that makes any sense, but hopefully it will. We're getting into some pretty deep, deep ponds and I, deep weeds. And um, I know that if you're like me, your brain starts to fold down after a little while. Just try to supercharge it for the next few more minutes. And we'll get through it. Okay, here we go. Verse 10. Therefore, 
Brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. With the words, therefore, we know you want to see what they're there for, right? In this case, what Peter's doing is he is wrapping up his little sermon on pursuing these things. It's a call to action, right? When you see a therefore, it means, okay, now you have the facts. What are you going to do about it? This is application time for Peter, okay? He says, here's what to do. Be even more diligent, relentless, he says, to make your call and election sure. I guess we get into these deep weeds right at the end when our brains are tired. But here it is. What does it mean to make your call and election sure? Does that mean we work out our own salvation? Like we, we have to work really hard or else we lose it? No, no. This is the best way I could think of to explain it with a tired brain to people with tired brains. You ready? The word calling means invitation. The word election means choosing. What, what Peter says here is, God chose you. If you're a Christian, if you've given your life to him, he chose you. You got an invitation from God Amen. to the wedding feast. And I was thinking, I'm hoping this makes sense. You guys know what an RSVP is? Yes? I know some of you do, right? Um, it means basically to let us know that you're coming, right? Someone sends you an invitation, then they also say, please, RSVP, let us know that you're coming. Um, I, I'll create an uh, impossible scenario because I'm always the one who fails to respond to them. I'm never the one who gives them, but let's give me the benefit of the doubt. Let's say I send you an invitation and you don't RSVP but you still want to come. Chances are you're going to call me and, hey, I totally blew it, I dropped the ball. But what if you didn't call me, you, there was no RSVP, and you came, you would hope you were still welcome because you would hope that I'm, you know, I love you, that's why I, invent, I, I invited you, right? But it sure is awkward, isn't it? If, like, oh, we bought all this food, but we brought for this many folks, but you didn't RSVP. See, you can still show up, I think, but it sure is awkward. Did they plan for me? Am I welcome? What? Now, please, again, follow along. I know this is dangerous to have this, this analogy when we're tired. I think what Peter's saying is, when you do these things, it's like your RSVP. It makes your calling and election sure. It's like confirmation. It's like saying, yes, I'm going to be there. Now, here's the deal. If you're, if you're thinking this through, you're like, wait a second, that doesn't, that doesn't work because the Lord knows everything. So he doesn't need my RSVP. You're right. But you need your RSVP for your own peace of mind. Does that make any sense? When he says, I want you to make your calling and election sure, he doesn't mean to God. God knows. What he's saying is, for your own sake, for your own sanity, make your calling and election sure. Make sure that you've filled out that RSVP and it looks like uh, godliness, pursuit, right? Uh, the pursuit of these things, right? That you are adding these things into your life. And I hope I'm not making, you, making it more confusing. I'm trying to make it easier for you. This is not saying, without these things, you're not making it into heaven. No, it's saying, 
if you want to have a confidence and not be always like, I kind of did an RSVP, so I'm not sure how this is going to go. If you want to just relax, be adding these things into your life. Let me put it this way. I think it's safe to say that we've probably all had moments. Haven't you had moments in your life where you stumbled so badly that you thought to yourself, I don't even know if I'm saved. I, I don't even know if, if if I go to meet him today. I just, I don't know because how could I have blown it that badly and still be a Christian? I want you guys to see this in verse 10. Peter is saying you don't have to ever feel that way again. You don't ever have to feel that way again. I'm hoping I'm making sense here. You're stumbling. That stumbling that you do that makes you like, I don't even know if I'm saved. Peter, I think, is saying, look, that comes when you quit pursuing virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. It, that just comes... I, I've heard it said, and maybe this will make it click for you. The Christian life is kind of like, in one regard, uh, bicycling up a very steep hill. Right? You just got to keep plugging away. And when you go, okay, I'm good. You don't just stay there. You start to backslide. And when you backslide, when you stumble, is when you start thinking those thoughts. I wonder if I'm even saved. I wonder, Right? But when you get to know Jesus, when you say, I'm going to pursue these things by getting to know Jesus, then you won't stumble in the horrific ways that you have before. Right? We're all going to stumble. But what I think he's saying is you don't have to stumble to that point where you wonder if you're even saved. And it's very simple to get to that place. Just pursue these things. Not these things per se, but these things as you spend time with the Lord. So I don't know if I've made it more confusing or not, but the, the net effect is that your gradual addition of these characteristics in your life is your RSVP. Not for his sake, for yours. So that you can look at it and go, yep, got my invitation, and I got my RSVP, right? I actually am a little more filled with brotherly kindness than I was last year. If you're not, if you look at your life right now and you look at last year and you go, man, I was so much better. You know, my, I was in a better place. My, my head was going. I was more godly, all those things. How can you have that security that he's talking about here? Okay? So we're not talking about that you can lose your salvation, but we're saying security in it. All right. Finally, he continues that thought. Verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Last word. Uh, we've seen relentless pursuit of these things. We've seen uh, the results of that pursuit. And then this last one is your reward or perhaps better word would be reception since we're talking about RSVPs, right? Have you ever thought about what kind of reception you want in heaven. The word entrance there is gate. It, the, it's the picture of coming through the gate um, at the end of a long journey and being received in, in one way or another. Have you ever thought about what you want it to look like when you walk through those gates? 
Maybe you're thinking, well, look, any reception besides St. Peter holding up a sign with a a (laughs) U-turn sign on it sounds good. Or any reception as long as Peter's not looking at me with his hand on a lever. (laughs) Well, this verse indicates that there may be different levels, I don't know how else to put it, of welcome. That is, uh, different size bashes that happen. I'm not sure. I think to the time when I've, I've run a couple marathons, believe it or not. I know, you're looking at me. Yep, prime athlete. I've, I've run a couple of these Disney marathons, uh, and I can tell you that the front runners, when they show up, it's big hoopla, right? They get a crown, they get the photo opportunities, they get interviews uh, on the TV networks. There's a big old spread of food, right? But then I get there. <laughs> Five and a half hours later. And the people that are there is like my family. And a janitor. And like one bagel and a half-eaten banana. What kind of reception do you want when you come into the kingdom? I guarantee you, every reception is going to be warm. It's going to be awesome. But wouldn't you rather have your RSP, RSVP go before you and have them say, oh, yeah, here he comes. Come on, let's drop the banners. Let's have the trumpets playing. Again, I've used this illustration. I'm going to do it again. Embarrass Jeremy. I, I know Jeremy, and I, and I love him, and he is, he is just a good and godly man. And I, I like, again, I picture it like being a, they're like, oh, there's Jeremy. Yeah, let's welcome him. Okay, somebody get, get the crowns, uh, get, get him the crowns for this and so that he can throw them at the king's reception. Drop the banners, all that stuff. And then I show up and there's a kazoo. And some guy hands me a, a beanie. And the angels say to me, Dude, I'm so glad you made it. We were taking bets on you. What kind of entrance, what kind of a reception do you want? Because he says here, If you add these things, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And interesting, I just want to close with this. See that word supplied? This might wrap it all together for you. It's the same exact word that you find in verse 5 for add. I think what Peter is saying is this. Guys, you're rich. But don't just stop there. Pursue these things. Add these things to your bag of tricks. Add your energy to the Lord that He can create these things in you. And I promise you, He will add an awesome reward for you at the end. That you'll be able to throw at His feet. That it will be an awesome time of worship. Okay? Let's pray.